The Magic Hour is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Andy, did you know ticket prices drop right before the game starts? And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. You know who doesn't want you to know that? The The man. The man. Well, the man, and the man runs the game. That's right. It's all part of a big machine corporate picture. They don't want you to know, but we're letting you behind that curtain, and that's how we get you. Yeah, so the Lakers, they don't have a lot of home games in December, which means demand is going to be very high. You're going to need that discount. I personally, Andy, have been using a site where I pay up to 60% more. I'm not doing that anymore. That was stupid. I'm not doing that no, anymore. No, this game time app has really been a revelation for you. That um, yeah, so the Lakers are back in town, I want to say a week from uh, uh, Sunday, a week from today as we record this. Uh, and there are sports tickets and theater tickets, and you get it all with the two tap you know, system there. The two tap checkout. Brian. Yeah, that's right. The two tap checkout thing. I, I love this. It's yeah, great. It's great. It's fantastic. It makes getting tickets easier, more economical, especially around the holiday time when you're going to be shelling out so much money just for gifts and stuff like that. This is a great way, by the way, to get people tickets to all these different events without them knowing you saved money on it. You become the favorite family member. Cheap yeah. What difference does it make? They're in the building. All right. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in Google Play or the App Store and score last minute uh, last minute deals on tickets up to sixty percent off. Welcome to episode six-ish, six. six? I believe it's six. Of the Magic Hour. It's hard to, time flies. It's it hard does. to believe. Uh, Doesn't welcome. fly by quick enough that you can't just look it up before the show. I know I'm very busy <laughs> with all the time <laughs> flying. Um, uh, well, but welcome. Uh, we we are very pleased. If you're a new listener, thank you for, for finding us. If you're an old listener, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, please Remember, if you can, to rate and review the show on iTunes or the Google Store. Because, Andy, like right now, all of our – we got a lot of nice ratings, but our reviews are are the one that we did uh, after the opener, which for quite frankly just didn't sound good. And like people were angry about it, and we want to bump those off the page. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially because now all that stuff, it's it's in the past. We sound phenomenal. We do we, sound, we sound good. gorgeous. You do. And, and thank you to Sasha for all of her help with that. Um, all right. So so please take care of that for you. We're going to lo- – lots of stuff to cover um, You know, in this post-Thanksgiving podcast. Uh, we've got the Lakers and a big December coming up for them, starting with a road trip this week. Um some interesting stuff coming out about team culture that we'll get into. And then The Irishman, Andy. Yeah, The Irishman at long last is now on Netflix, which means the majority of the people that they were looking to see this movie, the Martin Scorsese movie with Pacino, De Niro, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, like all these heavy hitters, a lot of people associate with Scorsese. And there are a few uh, talking points that we want to get into off that movie. Yep. Uh, are, are people like me with three children I'm more likely to see a three and a half hour movie if I can do it from home on the turlet if needed. But 
am I still going to have the time? Right. We'll so see. We're, we're going to get into all that. All right. Uh, but first, the Lakers, the 10-game winning streak is over. Uh, they lose on Sunday to the Dallas Mavericks at Staples Center. Uh, 114 to 100 was the final. Luka Doncic, uh, 27 points, 9 rebounds, 10 assists, plus 3 steals. Actually lower than his scoring average for the year. Luka Doncic came into this game essentially <laughs> averaging 31, 10, and 10, yeah, it, which it, is bananas. It's really interesting. There's been this Luka versus LeBron talking point that's come up a lot. I, you see it on basketball Twitter. You see it on a lot of basketball shows. Um, they're both part of the shortlist for MVP. But when you look at what both of them, you know, in the case of LeBron did, in the case of Luka currently doing, at age 20, you know, with teams that are in a lot of ways doing better than people expected, LeBron's team at age 20 in 2005, which was, by the way, the last time LeBron had missed the playoffs. Until last year, Until right. last year. That Cavs team was actually two games above 500. Like, it was the rare year where, like, if you were above 500, you still missed the playoffs in the East anyway. There's a lot of commonality between what these and by two the way, guys- it was two games over 500 and a garbage team. Yeah, it was it, not. A, it was not a quality yeah, yeah. group. Zadrunas Agaskis maybe was roughly as good as Porzingis has been this year. Yeah, maybe this year. But sure. you know, by and large, Dallas's team was definitely better. You don't but want to w- do a deep dive into 2004 Cavs or whatever. Like it was. 2004, <laughs> five, I actually did. That's how I know. Right, that but like, okay, I'll uh, let you finish it though. But I mean, like, there, there really is. You know, when you take into account just the different ways both of these players can affect the game, the versatility, the ability to run an offense, the the way they both came into the league ready-made, like both of these guys were absolutely ready to play in the NBA at the different highest paths. level. I mean, like you know, with the di- most responsibility. Sure, but like in in different ways. And this is one the the, the compare and contrast is interesting because I, on the one hand, I like it because. Finally, at least, we're not. We're it, it is a slightly less lazy thing than we normally do, which is high schooler to high schooler, white guy to white guy, Euro to Euro, like that. We just we seem incapable as a society of doing anything different. This is, you know, at least you're kind of looking at the impact that players have on a game. What makes Doncic fascinating in that regard is like he's been a pro since he was like 12, and I guess you know, cynic might argue the same about LeBron. But he LeBron has been treated like a pro, if nothing. LeBron else. has been treated like a pro, but wasn't playing against them. Whereas Doncic has been, and it you know whether it's Don, Don it represents to me the there are a lot of things for I, I think are really destructive about AAU and um, you know some of the instruction they get the amount that these you know young players play and this and that, but. The acceleration of development of young players who come into the league being able to do stuff where you're like, damn, like usually it's year six, year seven, year 10 before guys have that kind of maturity. You know, it's, I guess it's like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. Like guys are getting their 10,000 hours early. Doncic showed up with them. Um, and that LeBron-like triple-double thing is is there, except I think Doncic, and I may be remembering wrong, Andy, but Doncic is more polished than LeBron was when he arrived in the league, right? Um, he's more the, polished as a shooter. As a shooter, for sure. He, he's, he's more polished Even as with a his shooter. shortcomings. I, I don't know if he was more polished as a playmaker. I mean, LeBron arrived in the league. As an offensive player in total, 
But also, too, LeBron is more athletic, and especially 18-year-old or 19-year-old LeBron was way more athletic. Oh, absolutely. There's no, there's no question. I mean, look, so that makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, that, that question you were asking in some ways just depends on how you look at it. But, I mean, Luka, the way he arrived in the league in terms of an overall offensive package – may be the closest thing we've seen to LeBron. Oh, I don't think there's any question. The guy who comes in, runs an offense he, at, at that size. I was going to say, like the, the positionless, because you know LeBron has been, no matter what you want to call him, he's been a point, point guard, guard since, since the, he, Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And Doncic, and you really, by the way, get an idea of just how big Doncic is when you see him in person. Like it can be easy to forget that the guy really is big for his position. Certain things, and this is one of the the perks of doing what we do is we, th- there are things that when you watch them on television, don't translate. If you've never seen LeBron James play live, it's worth saving up to do because it just doesn't tra- like, he's so big. And even now at almost 35 years old, so athletic, we saw it tonight, uh, you know, uh, this afternoon, I should say Sunday afternoon against Dallas, like in the first half, particularly the, the spin moves and LeBron moving downhill is, is this thing to behold. Doncic isn't explosive in that way, but when you see him live and up close, it's like, this is a really big dude. Change is very Harden-like, I think, in in the change of speed, the deceleration and the acceleration, all that stuff. It's like, you need to see it up live. I mean, I I, I was at the game, the Rams game uh, last week. It's like, Lamar Jackson looks fast on TV in real life. <laughs> Holy jeebus. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. It's insane. Like, because it's zero to 60 in zero. Yeah. Like, it just happens. Like, he just, there's no sort of acceleration that he just, he's at, fo- you, certain guys you need to see live. And I think Doncic is interesting in that way because it's not like LeBron expo- explosiveness. It's subtle. It's more subtle. It's change of speeds. It's Steve Nash. It's J- it's James Harden. There's a lot going on It is on LeBron-like here. in the sense of trying to figure out how to guard that yeah, and luck. finding the right guy yeah, to guard it. Like yeah, LeBron no. was exactly like that because you have to configure your defense in certain ways, you know, often create cross matches, things like that. Doncic is a difficult guy. I would say also in particular a difficult guy for the Lakers, the way they're constructed right now with as few wings as they have. You talk about this with Davis. It's like, you know, certain teams, whether it's the Clippers, like, well, okay, who guards AD? There is no real matchup because like there were moments when AD was on Doncic and he's so crafty with the ball and body position. And again, these are things that typically a player in his fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth year would be able to kind of figure out and refine and all that. And he shows up that way in part because he is, you know, a, a prodigy, but also because again, he's been playing with professionals for like four years. I forget. I don't know the exact number, but a long time, He, you know. He started when he was 13, he was like 13 or, 14. or 14 years old. The cool thing is, as a basketball. He's the equivalent of a child actor gone well. Right. He's Toby, uh, uh, Elijah Wood. He's Elijah Wood. I mean, he's he's Jody Foster. He's what, if you really want to be an optimist, you're hoping LaMelo Ball will be. Because LaMelo Ball, there's been, I don't want to go down that rabbit no, hole. I, but I mean, but no, you're but right. LaMelo La Ball has been, for all intents and purposes, a child star. Yeah. And that road can be really rough. You know, even when you're talented and the, you know, the yeah. consensus is LaMelo's talented. He certainly is. Um, there's no question about that. Um, but so, I mean, it's just as a basketball fan to know you're going to get another like 13 years of this is, is really fun. Like he is incredibly fun to watch. 
and to know you're gonna you know the the AD thing with LeBron for a couple of years, like it's it's a fun it's a fun place we're in. And oh by the way, the Warriors will be back next year, like more or less. I mean, I don't think they'll ever be quite what they were because guys are getting older and and all that. But they're still they're not gonna be this. No, they're not gonna be Eric Paschal, you know, <laughs> whoever that and, you is. know Willie Cauley Stein and Kai Bowman. <laughs> No, they'll they'll be a better. Team it really helps sure. to play fantasy basketball to know who the Warriors are. Um, all right, so what's what was interesting in terms of takeaways? I, I don't think it's necessary to freak out about the Lakers losing a game after winning ten in a row. At some point, you're going to lose, and honestly, it does make some sense, uh, even with the oh, you didn't beat anyone. The Lakers have a soft schedule and all that, which is true. Um, the first game you play, Andy, I think against a really credible opponent where you can't, Danny Green talked about this after the game, like you you just can't, you can't dig yourself a hole, you get penalized for mistakes more. It is hard to kind of snap right to that. If they play 10 games against really good teams and can't seem to win more than a couple of them or are constantly being victimized for every, then you start to well, worry. Well, here's the problem yeah, one right game. now. Well, you, look yeah. at the La- you look at the Lakers record, they're 17 and three. They're three and three against teams 500 or better. And they're 14-0 against teams sub-500, which means they are doing one thing that good teams do, which is beat bad, bad teams. But then you start taking a look at the 3-3 three and three mark against the teams 500 or better. The first win they had uh, against Dallas in Dallas required a last-minute Danny Green 3, and then to their credit, they – Took, right. They took over in overtime, but that's a good team. You beat them on their sure, floor. But th- that's also a game that they could have lost. The win over Miami, they they didn't have Justice Winslow. The win over Phoenix, they didn't have DeAndre Ayton. They barely beat Sacramento. They barely beat Memphis. Like, and I'm not saying this to say that the Lakers aren't a good team. I'm saying when you start looking at all of the particulars, and then you see them lose by 14 points at home right before they're about to start a much tougher, you know, not just road trip, but part of the schedule, you know, I, I tweeted out and it, you know, it was fun trolling on my part, but you know, after the loss, you know, Lakers skeptic Twitter hit me with your takes, but there is some right, context I will, to it. I will say true. this. I mean, I, and cause I've been writing this stuff, you know, I do a lot, I'm doing like the, the road trip previews this year for the, if you go down almost any team schedule, like, you know, Denver is like this where, and Utah is like this where, you know, they're, you know, whatever and whatever, but they've lost five games by three points or whatever, you know, every team has this. And I think there's the, there's sort of the perception, particularly for championship teams. And this is something actually, I think I am going to write at some point. It's like a reminder to fans of what it is to be following a championship caliber team. Th- th- they're filled with these games. They're filled yes. with three point wins or five point wins again, because the norm in the NBA, even against bad teams, like if you win a game by seven, that's a pretty convincing win. Yes. You win a game by 10, even against a crap team. That's a pretty convincing win. Like, winning in the NBA is just did you win or didn't you? And you know, obviously how matters. It does matter. Um but you know, I just I I think, you know, Dallas is a good team. They have they the Lakers, no question, had gotten a little shoddy in their habits. I don't think there's any question about that. And they need to tighten up and and will have to. But the flip side of that is like the expectation I it breaks down uh in terms of the games they play this month. Like the idea that they were going to go through a month like this where, you know, it's every team, I think, except one is either a playoff team from last year or currently over 500. The idea that you're and most of them are on the road, 
that they were going to go through this month playing 650 ball is insane. Sure. So, you know, I, I just no, but it, like it, Danny Green has talked a lot about. It. He talked about it after the loss today. Talked about it um, at Saturday's practice. The way that they don't evaluate where they are based on results, based on score. They they evaluate in terms of process. Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? Sometimes you do what you're supposed to be doing, and it doesn't work anyway. Sometimes you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, and you manage to eke it out. Right. Vogel talks about that. You know, like we guarded. You know, we contested eighty percent of the threes. They hit, still hit forty nine. Well, that's just weird and luck. Right. You know, sometimes that happens. But I, I was going to say, and again, I want to preface this by making it clear. I'm not saying that the Lakers are about to get exposed or that they're a bad team or anything like that. But, you know, the context of all of these wins and losses do matter. And you and I covered all of the Kobe Power era, you know, the championship teams, you know, the team that went to the finals and lost against Boston, the team in 2011 that eventually got waxed in the playoffs by the Mavericks. And one of the big differences between the 2009-2010 team and the 2011 was the two championship teams, they would have lapses in focus, lapses in execution, but you could tell by and large what they were based off who they were beating and how they looked at their best. And then in 2011, and you and I were guilty of this as well as a lot oh, yeah, the of people. Signs, the signs the were all The signs were signs all were, and we, and there. We and we, we as, as a group, as a media, ignored them with the yes. sort of, they'll flip the switch. Exactly. When they it's like, we know this isn't looking right, but when the time comes. Exactly. And it turns out, no, they just weren't that no, good. Or that switch was like the size of like an old Frankenstein they just, thing. Just, were they, the, required three people. We, we, you know, whether it's this, whether it's the Rams, like, you know, you ever run into a team, it's like, oh, they're, they're around 500, but like, you know, they could win nine of 10 and they'll be fine. Well, if they were that good, they wouldn't need to win nine of 10. I mean, that's sort of where a lot of teams end right. up. So again, I, all, all I'm saying is this month will be really it instructive. Will. But the difference is where, where I think it's a difference between the Lakers were 17 and two, which is way better than like. The, the, you know, from a winning percentage standpoint, then, then you would, so it's, it, it becomes the gap between like the Lakers and everybody else. Like they were just light, like a record setting team versus yes, they are very clearly one of the best teams in basketball there. You know, if they go 500 this month or something like that, it'd be a good, good teams would be a really good month. You know, people are going to, Oh, they, they didn't win. It just means like, they're not light years better than everyone else in the conference, but they are very clearly um, one of the best teams because LeBron and AD are this good. Now, what separates them, and I think, well, you know, and this gets into what matters on this road trip uh, that we're going to start to see, Sunday afternoon reminded me a lot of the opener in the sense that they got, you know, generally speaking, we'll call it, I don't want to relitigate game one of the season. Today, they got 52 points from AD and LeBron out of the 100. They got 48 from everyone else. Uh, Caruso was four of five. Um, pretty much nobody Caruso else. Caruso was the only other player in double digits. Right, ten pretty points. much nobody else brought anything. Kuzma was miserable. He uh, missed all of his threes. He was one of eight from the floor. Four points. They need, we will see on the road, they need those guys and I mean those guys meaning anyone who is not LeBron and AD, to be better. Like, that's going to be what differentiates the Lakers between a really good team, which they will automatically be because of their stars, and a great team because Kuzma steps up and really becomes a consistent scorer, which he he's just not been... He's not been awful, but he's just been underwhelming so far, I would say. And if you want an example of what you're talking about, Brian, 
This afternoon against Dallas, off the bench, DeLon Wright, Justin Jackson, 32 points. Uh, the Mavericks, I believe, had 48 points off the bench. That And that's a road win. Like right. those guys stepping Step up, up on the road, on the road, big deal. That that is a big deal, and that's that's the type of thing that makes you look at Dallas and say, okay, they could be for real because they are outperforming pretty much everybody's expectations. I think so. I think people thought like they they if you were going to pick a team to drop out of the eight, like say, uh, you know Oklahoma City, I think everybody recognizes yes. not going to be a playoff team this year. Which team jumps in? Dallas was a pretty popular right, player. but I don't think people thought Dallas would be thirteen and six. No, that that's my point. Is even if you were relatively bullish on Dallas, I don't think no, you were much this closer bullish. to five. No, it's thirteen and six is good. Yeah, that's my point. And also too, I mean, even if you love Luka Doncic, you're not saying, guys. I am pretty sure Doncic is going to go through, and we're going to open December, and he's going to be averaging thirty-one, ten, and nine and a half. Oh, again, he has been on the short list of MVP candidates this season, rightly so. Rightly so. Um, so you know, we'll just. What do you think about before we we get too far past this? What do you think about the the Kuzma part? Because you've written about it, we've talked about it. How Kuzma performs, like if you assume Danny Green's going to generally be Danny Green, you know, Javale and Dwight are basically going to be like how Kuzma performs is is one of the key things that raises LA's ceiling. I don't think it is. Ceiling. I don't think it's one of the things. I think it is the most important thing. I think if you if you were looking for the the one thing that ultimately will allow the Lakers to hit their highest ceiling, whatever that ceiling is, however high you think it is, it's Kuzma. I think the play of Kuzma and his ability not just to be a third scorer, but actually truly be like a third guy on a championship caliber team, like not as good as Chris Bosh, because Chris Bosh is just a better player right. than Kuzma, period. But Chris Bosh did a lot of things. Kevin Love, at his best, did a lot of things for those Cavaliers team. You know, Lamar Odom did a lot of things for the Lakers as, I would say, the third guy on those championship teams. I, th- I think, by and large, Lamar Odom was the third most important player on those teams. Yeah. If K- Kuzma... Because he was the thing that elevated... When, exactly. when Lamar was special, the Lakers were unbeatable. Yes. Yes. And Kuzma needs to reach that level. If he, I don't know if he's capable, truly, of being special yet. But he's got to pick up what he's been doing. It doesn't help that, unfortunately, we've said this before, he's been hurt a lot. Right. He keeps getting – he got poked in the eye and then he turned an ankle. And, and then he, he, said, was, he said after the game today that his ankle felt okay. Which if is – If you watched his face, his ankle was bothering him. Right. And he was sitting so he's, you know, soaking for a while in the ice bath. and It hurts. But I mean, they need him hurts. to be better. They just do. And I, I – and we've, we've you know, dip, you know we, we've disagreed a little bit on – at the very least, he needs to be a really good scorer. Yeah. Oh, that that's- I mean, the other stuff, I, I I think the given the infrastructure around all of what you're saying about like being a well-rounded player, elevate and stuff like that in the ways that so like well, sort of look, a light if the, version. If the scoring isn't there, the I don't least, know what Kuzma is. Right, at the very least. That's the pro- I mean, if if the scoring isn't there, then the second unit doesn't have anything to be built around in that sense. Right. And he's shooting better than he did last year. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about it too is like, his ratio in terms of threes and twos, it's like he's not getting the line very much anymore because he is not attacking the basket as much because he's spending more time as a, as a spot-up three-point shooter. And I feel like that's something they got to figure out. they got to get him attacking a little bit more. He, does, he moves very well without the ball, so a lot of his shots um, at the rim are dunks because, you know, no, he cuts good cut really or whatever well. he, might he's be. He's good at that. But they got to figure out a way to kind of get him – that full game where it's not just threes, it's also 
opportunities to get himself the line. All the, they need him to be a consistent 15 to 20 point a night guy. Yes. They can't have- No, it's mandatory. Right. I mean, it just, it needs, they need that um, because he's the, he's the only other guy on the roster after Davis and LeBron who even kind of profiles as that sort of player. Oh, there's no, there's no question. I mean, it, it will help when Avery Bradley eventually comes back. But you can't rely on Avery no. Bradley to score 15, 16 No, absolutely not. I'm saying it will help. And look, guy, guys like Caruso, need to pick up his scoring. You know, Kuzma needs to be, I mean, Caruso needs to be more of an offensive threat than he's been. His defense has been outstanding. But it would be uh, nice. It would be nice. I mean it uh, would be nice. I think But uh, Kuzma, it's more mandatory than I, anybody else. What what and Vogel, Frank Vogel broke this down really well in terms of what Kuzma I think one of the things that makes Caruso so perfect, and he's second on the team right now in fourth quarter minutes, um, because he's really earned that time. And I know we were among a lot of people who hoped that they he would be given that opportunity and he has been we'll see what happens when bradley comes back but he caruso is going to be part of this rotation and fourth quarter minutes and all that i think in part of what makes him such a perfect fit is like it's okay if he doesn't score he's got to be willing to take shots when they're open and he always yes, he does. does yes he does i mean that as long as he doesn't pass up open shots it doesn't matter if he doesn't score because he makes himself somebody that needs to be guarded or that will hurt you if you don't guard him, sure, which he but, also is. But done. well, but at the same time, though, I don't I mean, think you want to turn him into a guy that you got to feel like he's got to go out and be a third score because no, his I value to the team score. is facilitating. I'm not saying and third score. I'm saying more than five points a game, more than 27 percent from behind the arc. He's got that part. Does that? That's what I'm talking. I don't. I don't mean he needs to be points like per game. I don't care 15. about 35 percent from the arc. You need yes, yes. I would agree with that. Um, but it, again, it's it's not just Caruso; it's the whole bench unit. But you could look at Kuzma and say it is just Kuzma, well, right? Because if you're if you're talking, if you're looking at Alex Caruso, going, you know, geez, you know, on top of all this other stuff that he's doing, which fit in really well and makes it so LeBron and, and AD, and then you get this glue. Yes, he, you know, he's been terrific. You know, if you need and now him to be scoring, that means Kuzma is not doing what he's supposed no to. Question. Do. Um, no and question. And I have I I I like Kuz as a person and a player. Um, but in part, because there's always been this weird, you must be an Ingram guy or a Kuzma guy. And I always thought that Ingram was really short sold in LA for reasons I, I thought were just really unfair. Uh, mostly having to do with aesthetics, like Kuzma knew how to play the game better. Uh, I mean the game, not the basketball game, the stuff that goes alongside, you know, Stephen A. Smith saying, you know, Ingram doesn't know how to be aggressive. He doesn't want it. He doesn't have the, do- like. All this really stupid stuff, and you look up, and like the numbers are either identical or they're better for Ingram. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this was a point you and I tried like to Ingram impress. Is not a sc- Ingram is not a scorer. Kuzma is. We tried they're to exactly the same. No, Ingram, they both average sixteen point one. Ingram is a better player than Kuzma. Period, yes. and always has been. Doesn't mean that Kuzma can't Does, be a really or that good he's player. or that Ingram would be a better fit here, where he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much. That's not the point. The point is when we had to make these choices. And I always told, it's like, we need to pump the brakes a little bit on this Kuzma is a third star thing because he's, he, so much of it has been found money. Like you feel like, well, you, you know, I, I actually that wrote era about is that. Over. I, I, that is something that I wrote about in, in one of the pieces talking about the importance of Kuzma was that the found money period is now done. Done. Yeah. He's um, no longer found money. He needs to perform at the level that the Lakers need. Yeah. Um, I want to, well, let's, let's talk about this thing too, because this is a, the other thing that's going to be tested 
uh, on the road trip, or not the road trip. That's a little, a little extreme. Uh, but nobody. Yeah, I will but, say but, this. But one thing I will say, say, but before, oh, you, before sure. you get to where I know you're going, uh, as far as being tested on the road, I did ask a lot of guys, including Frank Vogel, about the importance of the reaction to this loss in Denver. Their next game on Tuesday, Tuesday night. Then they you know, turn and, around and Wednesday. The importance in, of in, you know just Utah. reestablishing culture quickly. And other than Kuzma, which I guess you know you could maybe say is in part youth in part maybe Kuzma was self-conscious of the fact that you know I played really badly in this game right or just like we don't want to seem I don't want to be seem like that I'm overreacting I don't want to give like a panic quote that gets picked up correct but Frank Vogel Anthony Davis Danny Danny Green Green. yeah all said it's important one of the this is important yeah I've been kind of you know trying to to pick up little things and, and ask questions guys don't like talking about April May June now because it's just turned December. Um, but like, I am really interested in like, what are there in thousand different paths you can take to get to a championship? But there are certain things that you, that if you don't do them, you won't win. And I'd love, I'm, I'm guys are starting to kind of, and then a lot of it is what you're talking about, like habits, um, complacency, allowing yourself to let a game go or whatever it is. Like, you do have to go back and reestablish and make sure you're you're doing it correctly when you go out on the road and play these good games. Um, so I agree. Um, but the other thing that I think will be tested over the course of the next month, um, maybe not on the road trip, but certainly over the month, Friday, Quinn Cook against uh, Washington played really well. He hadn't played much. I think he had 17 points. Played really nice game. One of the things that came up after that was a ton of talk about culture because a lot of the questions were, "Hey, Quinn hadn't played in a while. What's how you how do how are you doing that, Frank Vogel? Uh, what do you think about that, teammates of Quinn Cook or whatever it might be?" And to a man, a lot of stuff came out about culture. This is a a, a team where guys are able to speak their minds. Javale said, "You know, guys will tell LeBron, you need to go do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, uh, whatever it might be." A lot of dudes with championship experience who have been on championship caliber teams, teams who have been to the finals. Anthony Davis, uh, as a leader of the team, talked about it the next day at practice about the kind of community and culture that they're building, and this is what he said. Well, we treat everyone equally around here. I mean, obviously, we know, you know the leaders of the team, um, but everyone has input, you know, from... You know, Quinn, Troy, whoever it is, does does one of the most respected guys on the team. You know, from you know his experience, um, great basketball IQ. So even though Doug don't get a chance to play a lot, guys listen to what Doug say. Um, and you know, he can come to us. You know, we can go to him uh, from to the coaching staff to you know front office, whatever it is, the entire organization. You know, guys listen. And when you have a team like that who who respects one another, and you know, you can say. Something in, I want to say in a harsh way, in the heat of the moment during the game, but they know it's coming from a good place. Um, and that's what the great teams do. Okay, so that was AD. And, you know, he's it's it's interesting, like, you know, he's a leader on the team, LeBron and all that. He talked about Jared Dudley, he talked about all these other guys. Quinn Cook can speak his mind and all that. But as JaVale has said and other people said, you know, Friday and other days, all of this is easier when you're winning. And when you're not, it's I, I'm not looking forward to seeing it tested just because I don't need the Lakers to lose, but it's like curious what it might look like. Th- this, Brian, gets back to a debate that you and I have had like for years 
you know, people who are familiar with us from ESPN LA 710 or the podcast that we are doing for 710 or even going back to the LA Times days about what chemistry even means in sports and like yes. what is the value of it? What what tangible thing does it bring to a team? And I'm more of a believer, I think, in chemistry than you are. But the way I've always defined it is that it's not so much the way it creates winning as it safeguards things from going sideways when you're not winning. And that to me yes. is that to I, me that is, I, I 100% agree. Like with that. that to me is the value of guys who actually really want to play for each other. And you and I have covered a lot of teams in a lot of different sports, and we've seen teams that genuinely want to play for each other, and we've seen teams that have no interest in playing for each other. And you can tell in both cases what those are. This Lakers team feels like a team that wants to play for each other, but like you said, that resolve hasn't really been tested. So it, it's right. And be- because right now everybody's getting a chance to do it, and we, Vogel talked about that. Um, you know, at practice the other day, when we asked him about Quinn, it's like, yeah, I mean, injuries have opened up opportunities, but we're going to get to a point, hopefully, where, you know what, you might have to sit for a month and they haven't reached that yet. We haven't gotten to a point where Dwight and JaVale, only one of them can do something and they're like, or they're losing. So yeah, I mean, you're right. It makes all of that. I mean, and, and a lot of guys have talked about how this team has a lot of togetherness on and off the court. Like JaVale McGee said that he's never been a part of a team that one through 15, they communicate with each other, hang out with each other away from the game. And JaVale McGee played for championship teams with the Warriors. Yes. And he- and the distinction he made, which was, I thought, an interesting yes. one, was that it's not, I mean, he, he didn't mean it in a way, and he went and made sure he clarified that Steph, Clay, those, they were bad guys or like they didn't share the love or whatever. 15 it was players, 15 cats. Right, or like, you know, those guys were jerks or whatever it is. But it's like, but when, by the time they built like a championship, like they'd been together, it was their team. They'd been together. They had a culture that was, a, this is different because it's essentially 15 guys, many, all of whom have been here no more than like a year or two, except K- I guess KCP. Kuzma. Case KCP and Kuzma. Yeah. Um, but the culture is brand new and being built by everybody at the same right. time. It's being built. That's the it's distinction. It's being built in real time. And other than, I think, JaVale and Quinn Cook, none of these guys have won championships together. Like, there are a lot of guys who've won championships, but none of them have done it with a current right. teammate. And, but, there is, but there is a lot of, of championship experience, a lot of guys who have been to finals, won titles and all that. And in different ways and in different places, you know, Danny Green with San Antonio. Right. That, that's Andrew, what I'm saying. Rajan. But they've never done it together right. though. And that right. makes a difference. It does. And what's, what I thought was also interesting too, that came up this week was regarding this question of the rotation and how you're in Frank Vogel to his credit has done a really good job of taking that 10th spot, that 11th spot that, and just saying, you know what? And it, it feels fairly arbitrary in a lot of, it's like part maybe because there's not necessarily a huge difference between Troy Daniels and Quinn Cook. Um, but like Quinn hasn't played in three games tonight. The Troy Daniels role will be played by Quinn Cook and, or tonight it will be played by Jared Dudley. And why? Because similar to like kind of how the Dodgers operate, you just don't want guys sitting for that long. Well, also too, I mean, Quinn said that one of the reasons he's been able to stay ready, I think other than the fact that he's had this experience with Golden State is that he knows Vogel, if given his druthers, will play everybody. Right. So when and, a coach and that him, he is playing right, everybody. But I was going to say, when a coach says to him, stay ready, 
it doesn't feel like bullshit. Right. <laughs> like it's no, really you're, stay ready. Stay ready. Like, Cause there's a good chance play. you're going to be in and, there. And you're going to be in every fourth game or whatever. And, and, and it's a smart way of doing it. But then like you go to Quinn Cook and it's like, well, wait a minute. Quinn Cook actually makes a lot of sense on this roster, not just because he's a guy who can shoot from the outside in theory, and he's had a couple of good games, and his percentages aren't great, and they're not what they, they need to be in the long term, but like if he's going to play a lot. But part of Quinn Cook's appeal is that he, if you look at his game logs in Golden State, he would go like three weeks without playing, and then he'd start like nine games when Steph would get hurt, and then he'd play like... 12 minutes a night for the, he's used to this, like no, no, this no, no. kind I of mean, deal. Troy Daniels, say what you want about him as a player. He's had to stay ready his entire career. Yes. I mean, that Troy Daniels, career has been an exercise in staying ready. That's what happens when you're a journeyman with one skill that will keep you in the right. league. Jared Dudley with Brooklyn basically either started or didn't play. Yeah. So in like, Look, I mean, of all the people in the locker room you got to worry about in terms of like griping over his plan, he's not it. Uh, you look at the guy. He's just, he's, he knows where he is in his career. He's happy to be here. Um, but, you know, so the roster construction in that regard actually is smart in ways that I'm not sure were totally uh, seen at the time it was put together. I mean, I, and I asked Vogel about, about it and you know whether or not you could see that in training camp or how long it like do you need 20 games to to um to figure that out um the pieces have have uh, blended together pretty seamlessly and you know i credit my coaching staff for, for working these guys and selling them on the roles that they're going to have uh, within our team but you know we had a, i had a lot to do with you know with regard with rob Polinka and karamas in the summer of what, how we wanted to build this thing, you know, and what things were important to us. Perimeter shooting, two-way players, length at the basket. And they went out to their credit and, and got these types of players. And, um, you know, again, once you get them, you don't know how it's all going to come together. But, um, you know, the starting point, you know, of having the, the types of players that you want, you know, for, uh, for the team you want to build and the style of play you want to have, um, you know, that was put together in the summertime. How so, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the fit part of it, you know, they thought about it. The thing that stuck out to me most there, Lerl Andy, you heard how Frank Vogel took ownership of that, right? Like, yeah. by the way, I was part of this conversation. Like for a guy who's been, I, he didn't back into the job, the job sort of backed into him. <laughs> like he didn't do anything wrong. He was just there. Frank Vogel didn't land on the Lakers. The Lakers, right, Lakers landed, landed on, on Frank, Frank Vogel. Vogel. You're exactly right. It's like this thing, like he's, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to stake, you know, in, you know, they were 17 and two at the time as opposed to 17 and three of a little more leeway. Obviously the context changes. Right. But it's like, hey folks, like, you know, this is uh, my thing too. And he was so deferential when he got here to his coaching staff, to his stars, and he still is. But I, that stuck out to me as like a little bit of chest puffery. Well, here's the thing though, with Vogel. I mean, and his press conference was, you know, a a charade. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, more people were there to ask Rob Palenka, what the F man, like right. what the hell's been well, going they, on? They, there were more people, there were still as many people were in the crowd. It was still not as many people as the Lakers went through for that job before they landed. Right. On Frank I mean, Vogel. nobody was there to ask Frank Vogel anything and it was ridiculous. And, and I felt bad for Frank Vogel. I actually wrote a piece for the athletic about how it was so unfair. I felt, I, well, it was unfair, 
But I thought he killed the press conference. I mean, he absolutely crushed the thing under the circumstances with this combination of unflappable optimism, humility, but there was confidence there. Like he was completely secure with the idea of all of you are looking at me thinking I should be either Ty Lue or Jason Kidd is waiting to steal my job and I'm good with it. I'm good because it's it. still my job. It's still my and job. I, I know what I've done before with a good team. I took two Pacers teams to the Eastern Conference Finals, and if I hadn't had the misfortune of going up against the Heatles, I would have gone to the finals at least once. Right, and you know, seventeen and two gives him the leeway to do it. And you know, if they if they go ten and eight or ten and nine over that stretch, it's a whole different deal. But you know what? They didn't. No, and there, there's a world in which you know a bunch of years ago. Dwight Howard, that Dwight Howard team gets off to a great start. Nash doesn't get hurt and all of his like, and the entire string of Lakers history plays out differently after that. Yeah, there's like no they question. re-signed Dwight Howard, which was probably a bad idea at all. I mean, any but who knows things, under different circumstances, maybe, it might've been a good idea. Maybe it was, but I just mean in the sense that the league kind of passed Dwight by sure. pretty quickly, but like, or like they don't all, they don't get the draft picks to trade for all this stuff because winning changes the context and i i don't know I mean, how look, many the, more those heat teams with lebron and wade and chris bosh think how much different things might have turned out if pat riley doesn't just say no spolster's the coach figure it out right, get out of three. my office yeah i i'm not i am not blowing this dude out just because you don't want to play for him right, there's no figure question it out and you know so so kudos to uh to vogel but it, I, I wonder how many more of these moments will come up and it, it was it was a very clear thing that instantly popped out to me when when he said that, and I was like, "Okay, no, I don't think you're wrong. Go Vogel. Um, right. <laughs> it's your birthday. Go Vogel. Go Vogel." Brian, you ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit shelves? Well, the answer, StockX. I was going to say yes. <laughs> well, okay. Well, <laughs> yes, I do wonder that. You do wonder. Well, here's the answer: StockX. It's a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear. Watches, handbags, millions, Brian, millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear brands like Supreme, Bape, Palace, Kith. I mean, it's an unbelievable site and it handles the exchange of every transaction so you never have to worry about legit buyers or sellers, counterfeiters, Brian, as I believe they're known. Flim Flim. Yes. <laughs> Our can uncle, we, can our we, uncle can always we bring, aspired to be a flim flam man. Can we bring that back? Flim flam man? Flim flam man? I would. I would love to be back, like back in the days where flim flam men sold tonics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The traveling medicine shows. Yes. Um, you know, another thing that's good about Or like just is, the people, they'd open up their overcoat yeah. and they had a bunch of wares on either side. Right. Um, but the thing I like about StockX too is it saves people like me from having to walk into a store. And be like, do you have any bapes? Because I don't know, I don't really know how to say it. So I can just look and like pick the ones. Like if I'm looking for the Air Jordan One Fearless UNC Chicago, when I add that to my rotation, mm-hmm. which I do. Yeah, and let's be clear, your rotation huge. Yes, filled with bapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do that. StockX. Yeah, absolutely. So you want in all the hype? Check out StockX.com black backslash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see color. <laughs> <laughs> not even, not even in nope. your dot com. I don't. I don't. I don't see color. <laughs> StockX.com 
backslash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's stockx.com backslash bball. Check it out today. Andy and his racist keyboard with its black slashes. <laughs> no, it just, I mean, that's a tongue twister right there. It is. There. No, it's hard. It's like toy boat. Um, all right. So uh, the, the other thing before we go here, uh, the, the Irishman has been out in theaters, I guess, like long enough now so it can get- Yeah, a, it came out, uh, thanks, I believe, the day before Thanksgiving and it's on Netflix. Limited, but it's been a limited theatrical yes. release so that it can be nominated for awards and yes. stuff. Yes. It is now out on Netflix, which was what it was produced for. Yes. It is a three- Handsomely. And a half, yes. It is <laughs> a three and a half expensive. hour movie. Um, there was a 0.0% chance that I, for two reasons. I have three children and twice that many jobs. <laughs> um, there is a 0% chance I can find three and a half hour, four, five really, once you, you know, factor in the commute to do, to go see that movie. It's just not going to happen. Um. Also, I, if I spend three and a half hours in a dark room, I will fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, I will sleep through that movie. No, like I, I can no longer see movies past like seven o'clock in a theater. Oh, God, like, no. I, I, like, oh, but if I saw it at noon, I'd fall asleep. Comfy chair, dark room. <laughs> and they're all like, they're, a lot of those chairs are like velveteen. Yeah. You know? Especially now, you get, to, you get to some of these theaters that are really trying to entice you to yeah. go to the theater. You know, it's places a, like the Arclight. It's like a warm hug. Oh, it's it's more comfortable than my house. It's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a hug. By the way, the moment that I really knew that uh, the movie, remember Van Helsing? Yes. The, the moment that I knew that Van Helsing was not a one, of the, one of not, the worst not a good movies film. I'd ever seen is I remember I saw it in like a 1 p.m. showing, like a matinee, and it is maybe the loudest movie I've ever fell seen. Asleep. in my. Oh, I didn't fall asleep, Brian. I fell asleep twice. <laughs> <laughs> in, like it was basically like falling asleep in front of a construction site. Yeah, this was, movie was, was so bad, damn loud. Bad film. Um, so, but like, so now the Irishman is out and there's at least a chance that I, I will see it at home in, not in one three and a half hour installment as if it was sort of as it was intended to be. You've seen in one, I will probably watch it in, in 16 minute increments I over the course of six months. I saw a great joke on Twitter by somebody, Matt Hubbard. I have no idea who he is. I will watch the Irishman as Martin Scorsese intended on an <laughs> iPhone while hiding from my kids in the bathroom, broken up into 17 parts over two and a half weeks. Yeah, it's basically, that's basically what I'm going to do. Um, but it, it, it's, it, it, it brings up like, this is how movies, like the direction movies are going, like the ability to see something, I guess in a theater, if you live in LA or New York, but more stuff like this, more even epic three and a half hour movies are going to be made to be watched on at, you know, either your phone or a 55 inch TV. If you, you know, happen to have a nice flat screen or whatever it is. Or like, like a 20 inch computer screen, your laptop. Yeah. I mean, but, the, but certainly not, you know, I was listening, I, I was listening today to, uh, the rewatchables went back the, the Simmons podcast on the ringer of like, uh, a Butch Cassidy, which was shot like even wider than normal wide shot with Conrad Hall. And like nobody, like that's not how it's going to be done anymore. Like to, because you're supposed to see it on a big movie theater screen because back then, Andy, that was the only way to see movies. Yeah. Sometimes you saw them at the drive-in, which is like a screen the size of your house. <laughs> well, no, bigger than your house. That's true. Unless you were really rich. <laughs> um, So like, yeah, like this is like Martin Scorsese making epic three and a half hour movies that are meant to be consumed on 
at best a a shocking variety of screen sizes and audio and like you know you hear it with headphones or maybe you're watching on tv or maybe you have surround sound maybe you don't maybe you're listening on you know earbuds maybe that to me is what is so amazing about this era of of entertainment where because it's really good but it's just done so differently. Yeah, I was thinking about like the idea of the running time preventing you from seeing, and the answer for me is no. I mean, I I'm going to. Well, you only have one child, right? I only have one child. Um, Same amount of jobs. But I only do. One I child. was going to say, got a lot of jobs, but only one child. But like, it's a three and a half hour movie, and I was thinking about it, like the idea of it's more than half of a typical season of bingeable TV. Which, you know, gets to the way a lot of, you know, a lot of us now consume product and the ability to just, you know, watch things over and over. Yeah. But it seems so much more intimidating. Yeah, it does. But I, but I think it's because with bingeable TV, as much as you're trying to get through as much as possible, as quickly as possible, you're still comfortable with the idea of I can put it down. It was meant to be put down, even yes. if it was designed. Or like there are natural places like, okay, I could stop here. And if I don't come back for three days, it won't be like. Wait, what just happened? Right, like exactly. But um, you know, the Irishman, I I'm going to find the time to basically be able to do it in one sitting. You know, it's designed, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, for Netflix to be perfect for if you need to pause it for something, bathroom break, you know, your kid doing something, whatever. Like you, you can put it down for a second, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, you should watch if, if you break it up watch too the much. Whole thing. I was also thinking about too, dude. Um, you know, it's De Niro and Scorsese reuniting, and it's the first time De Niro and Scorsese have done a movie together since Casino, which is 1995. But before that, you've got this long partnership between the two of them with Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, and Casino. And that is considered like, you know, up there with, say, Jack Lemon and Billy Wilder, you know. Uh, you know, a couple other run. directors and actors for like the great partnerships between actor and director. And, you know, like the director finding this muse for communicating everything that they want. Like, are we going to see more of well, those type of partnerships no. I mean, Scorsese, moving forward? Well, other than the, than the people already have, like Scorsese, like does, I mean, he's put DiCaprio in a thousand movies. Yes. Yes, he has. Um, you know, and, and there, there are certain guys that appear, Spielberg's worked with. Hanks. Um, Hanks a lot. Like, I think the, the the short answer is no. And I think what what's different is, correct me if I'm wrong. There are fewer just movies. Like yeah, people don't make fewer. them as much as they used to. So you have fewer opportunities. Yeah, and you get fewer opportunities to really not cater to, you know, the IP tentpole right. direction of Hollywood. I now. think what you end up seeing more, what you're going to see more, is like this person did a show for HBO and now pops up in this other show for HBO. This person was in a Netflix thing produced by this guy, ends up in this other thing. But like the network or the vehicle that delivers it in some ways may end up more important than the director because the director, even if, if you put a guy in half your movies, that could be three films over a decade and a half now. It just, the stuff doesn't, short of, I assume you're talking about stuff that comes outside of, franchise tenfold. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, not necessarily because I, I was thinking about a few examples of this and you, you mentioned Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and they've now done, I believe, more movies together than De Niro and Scorsese did or if not, There's close. A and, lot. and I believe the next three Scorsese movies have Leo in them. One of them has right. 
Leo, Quentin Tarantino works with a lot of the same people. Yeah, yeah. Clooney works with a lot of the same but people. But what, what I think is interesting though is the idea of like if you're really trying to find the perfect comp is finding like a director and a star that establish themselves together. And like maybe you get a chance with uh, David O. Russell and Bradley Cooper or David O. Russell maybe. and Jennifer Lawrence. is Cersei Ronan like doing it like she's just started directing but like it's, people could pop up with like young people like her. Well, you would mention though the idea of, you know, it would have to exist outside of big IP. The the most ground up example, you know, ground up potential example we've seen of this is Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, you know, beginning mm-hmm. together with Fruitvale Station, then they do uh, Creed, Creed, then Black Panther. Right. Um, and hopefully- they continue working together because they're both very young. Right. Uh, I, I what I meant by that is not that you can't have one of those in there, but like, you know, one person play, it does, it's a bit of a cheat. If one person directs, you know, JJ, if JJ Abrams, and I know he didn't, but like directs six Star Trek movies. I'm not, I'm not talking about you that. You see what I'm saying? Like, like sure. Chris Pine playing the same role. That's not what all, I'm talking about. That, that doesn't count. I'm talking about, well, first of all, the person who would say that doesn't count as Martin Scorsese. We've all heard his. God, is a, I, <laughs> I have never wanted to. Smash my computer more than it's just everybody shut up. Right, but uh, it, it would be nice to see something like that type of partnership really flourish today. Just if for no other reason than a, you're seeing really good movies, but b, just knowing that it can still be done, like that, it would it would be yeah, really I, it would it's, be it's, refreshing it's, to know that all of these things. It's, it's not it's not good. It's not bad. It's just different. And you know, I think the the. It is very, there are certain things that have gotten lost, the experience of seeing things on a screen and and all of this stuff. You know, the community experience of being in a theater. In a theater. These are valuable things that change the way that you, that you take in movies. And losing that, it is, it will, you will, when we eventually stop going to movie theaters for, especially for things that aren't giant tentpole movies, um, we will lose something collectively. It is still very difficult to argue that content has suffered because of it. No, content I because think is actually there very is good. There's so much of it now. And it is there's a lot of crap, but there's so well, much of it. There's always a lot of crap. Right. It's like it's like not like the eighties or nineties weren't filled with crap. You mentioned Van Helsing. <laughs> it's loud though. So it's just different. And like and again, I'll go back to the 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 the, the podcast we can quit here, but like the podcast I was listening to with with Simmons. The theme of Butch Cassidy and Aaron Sorkin was guesting on it. Yeah, I've listened to it. It's It's terrific. It's great. He points out like the the movie is about their relationship and change. Like like it's right on that thing. And I feel like the whole Scorsese tentpole thing is uh, is fundamentally it's an argument about that. Well, it's it's once upon a time in Hollywood is a movie about about that. that. Yes, it's it's an argument over back in my day. Then in terms of like the way Hollywood was changing and the culture was changing going from 69 to 70, but also now. Like, I mean, I think Tarantino is making as much of a commentary on where we are in Hollywood and culture now Mm -hmm. as he was then. Before. And and I was saying, like, we live in a a really unique time in the sense that we were kind of the bridge between what it was. We're old enough to remember, you know, what it was. And we were also young enough to engage in what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, that's a little egotistical as a, as a age group to say like nobody else will ever, but I don't know when this is going to happen again. So, you know. It's easy to believe that it won't happen again. Before we go, thought exercise for you in thinking about the Irishman and Scorsese and De Niro together. Uh Who do you think has had the more successful career away from each other oh, God. between De Niro and Scorsese? 
Because they made a lot of movies away from each other as Scorsese's well. Scorsese's made less crap. Yeah. I think you could argue he makes similar good things. Um, but generally speaking, when Scorsese comes out with something, it's watchable. Even his, you know, most of his movies are pretty watchable on oh, yeah. one level or another. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it. De Niro think- has made an awful lot of crap. I, that's this the last 15, 20 years, especially. That, that's the thing, though. It's like, and, and I think you're right about this, Brian. Like, De Niro has made, I think, more or been a part of more great movies, like truly great movies without Scorsese, like Godfather 2, The sure. Deer Hunter, Midnight Run, Heat, you know, Jackie Brown. I think American Hustle is a great movie, Wag the Dog. But he's had more considerably bad movies. And yes. I mean, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle bad movies than Scorsese. And some of it is the difference between being an actor, joining a project versus, you know, director, being, right. yeah, directing. And, and Scorsese, I think, has the ability- You don't have to say yes to everything. Well, I also think Scorsese still has the ability to do whatever he wants in a way that, other than just making your choices- Respectfully, De Niro. so does De Niro. Sure. Daniel Day-Lewis does a movie every 19 years He's and retired then retired. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like it can, it can be, you know, Leo, Leo I'm just talking chooses about, I'm talking, sure, but I'm carefully. talking about- like, Brad Pitt chooses pretty carefully. He does, I mean, but, I, but I'm also- De Niro does not. No, no, he certainly- De Niro likes to get paid. And I, you know, and Godspeed. It's like, you know what? Everybody knows what I'm capable of doing. And every fifth year, I remind them by giving some sort of awesome performance. In between, I'm going to make, I'm going to be Scrooge, like Scrooge McDuck, Jeff, where he just <laughs> dives in the uh, gold I hope coins. he was paid well for uh, the killing season, not to be confused with Killer Elite, not to be confused <laughs> with Righteous Kill. Uh, the other, the- uh, The trilogy of bad killing films. Oh, but also Righteous Kill is the movie that he did with Al Pacino that isn't, uh, that isn't The Irishman and isn't Heat. Righteous Kill. Bad film. Ooh. Um, Hoofa. Yeah, bad film. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll be back- uh, Next, probably next week, I would think. Well, maybe this week. Hopefully. You know what we like to do, Andy? Keep it a mystery. Yeah. So uh, but at some point, there will be an episode seven of The Magic Hour. Again, uh, subscribe and rate and review, uh, preferably nicely, but at the very least, uh, get those ones off the page.